This is this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. And I am so blessed today to have one of my new friends with me. Thank you so much for joining me, Devon. I appreciate you for coming on. And as y'all will quickly hear, he's got an accent. He's from across to actually the world um and it's a different day <laughs> that we yeah talk. which got us all mixed up so <laughs> <laughs> so welcome thanks for joining me today thanks for having me um so for the people that have not heard the show or been on the show you know if you didn't listen to the intro it's about being hot humble open and transparent human so I'm so blessed to have you on because you are a very hot human. You are about being open and talking about some things that are sometimes not mentioned, especially in the leadership and management world. And so before we get started, I would like you just to quickly introduce yourself to the audience. Just let them hear about who you are. Yeah, sure. At the moment, I'm working as a as a material manager, leading a team of material managers that basically make sure we have the materials we need to make the products we need to make for our customers. And on the side, I'm also the producer and co-host of the Candle Communication podcast, where we talk about interpersonal communication and all the human stuff that gets in the way. Oh, I love it. And I think that's important too, um, going forward, just to talk about communication, especially and I think it's going to flow both of them really pretty well about what you do and show who you are. Because as a material manager, what we're going to be talking about is usually not, doesn't happen that much. Um, in a part, because we have to expect perfection out of people, but that's not possible, in my opinion. Yeah. So, Devon, let's just get into it. What are you not apologizing for? I'm not sorry for being too trusting. Tell me more about that. Well, usually when I go to work and you know when you kind of you're at work and you're talking with your manager and you're in the lunchroom and you just you're having a good time, you're having a normal human conversation, right? And then they call you into the office and they say and and the manager head comes on. You can see the demeanor change and then suddenly it's like, okay, we're going to talk about your performance. And now you have a serious conversation. The manager head comes on and the whole thing changes, right? And I guess I'm often told I'm too nice, that mm -hmm. I'm too trusting. I mean, to the point where I had someone on my team who he asked me if he could work from Fiji for a week. Now, I'm not sure Fiji is a bit far away for you guys. Maybe it's kind of like the equivalent of Hawaii for you, right? Where mm. it's like, think tropical paradise, and it's like, oh, I'm going to work from there for a week. And 
everyone else thinks, well, this guy just wants a holiday and he's taking advantage of you. But I'm like, no, I'll, I'll trust him to do the, his work from there because he's got family there and he wants to be there for the weekend to attend the family event, but he doesn't want to take the whole week off to do that. And so often people label me as being too nice or too trusting. But I think if you want to bring the best out of people, it really starts with you believing the best in them. Mm. And yep. so that's really at the heart of my leadership style. And it's really the mission for, for myself where, you know, at my funeral, I would want people to say that I brought the best out of them, whether that's at work or at home. And so that's kind of been my guiding principle, um, yeah, in, in work and at home. Oh, I love that. It makes me think I'm actually popping out my phone because I actually did a quote on this, didn't know it was going to come up. But it was on a show I was watching and it says sometimes if you treat people as if they are good, it challenges them to be good. Take some yeah. time to find the good in it. And that's what I hear out of that, too, is that whenever we expect that people will be good, they will be kind, they will do the right thing. They typically do because mm. they don't want to break that trust. Um, example, I can think of my co uh, one of my coworkers. Technically, I'm the boss, um, but we're and for us. We're all even. And her kid was sick. And what I told her is take take the time off because I know she's going to work extra. She always does. She always gives one hundred and ten percent. I know you can't do that, but she always gives her all to what she does. And so I'm like, the least that I could do is give back to you. And that is not being too kind or too nice, in my opinion, it's trusting that I heard somebody that is amazing and awesome that will do the work because I know her character and I know her abilities. So that makes me want to flow into one of these questions about being too trusting. There's this popular book um, called Talent Wars, and it talks about hiring for character, training for skill. Mm -hmm. How does it make a difference with the people that you've brought on board by knowing their character so that you can actually trust them. Oh yeah. I think, well, there's actually a lot that I wanted to say about that. Um, so totally agree that it's harder to train character than it is to train skills, mm -hmm. right? You, you want to hire for character and you want to train for skills because trust is so important, right? Mm -hmm. Because I give it so freely and my some like I always come with positive intent. So I want to make sure that the people I bring in are people I can trust. Because that's the first thing. If you're at work and you say, Well, I can't trust my team, then the question mm -hmm. is, why did you hire them? Exactly. Right? Why why did you hire them? But to to get back to your your previous point as well, we tend to live up to people's expectations in my experience. And it works both ways, right? So on, on a positive end. Um, when I came into this team to start leading it, there was one person on the team who was viewed as being an underperformer, right? They were typically seen that they just, they were promoted to, or, or they were in a role that they weren't right, right for. They mm -hmm. weren't doing well. And that was the consensus amongst most people in the business. But instead of assuming that they were not capable, I was, came from the mindset of you are capable, but let's see why you're struggling. And mm -hmm. so I was trying to do her job. I was trying to see, okay, the tools we've given you is really difficult to use. I mean, I'm, I've got an engineering background and I'm struggling to figure out how much you need to buy. I, I, how are you doing this? 
right? And so instead of assuming that the person wasn't capable, come with the intent that, or the assumption that they are capable and give them the tools to, mm-hmm. to basically prove you right. Because even if you find something, and this is what I like to do, you find something, even if it's half true, right? And you tell that to someone, they will make it true because they want to live up to their trust. They want to live up to what you see in them. And like you say, it's kind of like, it becomes a virtuous cycle too, because once you give trust, then they give you trust and it becomes a virtuous cycle. But as soon as you withhold it, if you say, you have to earn my trust, you have to prove yourself to me first, then everyone gets guided and you do the minimum amount to kind of show you're capable. But to your point, like when you, you know, give the person opportunity to go home, rest up, you know, what do they want to do? They want to be there. They want to actually contribute more instead of doing it begrudgingly. But like I said, it works both ways too. Because, and this is something that I saw in my own experience as well. Uh, when I was at school, I played a lot of touch rugby. So that's a sport we play in Australia. And I was pretty good at it. But in this particular case, I was selected to join a team and everyone in the team already knew each other. Mm-hmm. So I was coming in really as the outsider. And they, like, I could see in their demeanor and the way they're talking to each other, the way they were looking at me, they thought, who is this guy? He doesn't mm-hmm. deserve to be here. And I felt that. And so that's what, that was their expectation on me. And all I wanted to do was prove them wrong. I wanted to prove them wrong. But by doing that, I was actually underperforming. I was not mm-hmm. performing like I usually do to the point where I couldn't even catch the ball, like the simplest thing, right? I couldn't even do the simple things right. And there's like, you see, I told you he doesn't deserve to be here. So, and it just kind of opened my eyes as well to just the biases we have as well, uh, whether it's at work or at home. With, whenever you're in some kind of group that you kind of say, look, those, that group or that type of people, those people, see, they can't do that. They're not suitable. Mm-hmm. Whether that's, you know, what, whatever the in-group or out-group is, they will tend to live up to your expectations of them and that will confirm your bias <laughs> that they are not capable. And so you really need to break that cycle and it's not mm-hmm. to yourself to believe the best and to trust them that they will actually deliver what they are hired to do or what they've been selected to do. I think that's so important. And there's a few things that my mind goes to, but one being that I know that you have a background in engineering and I know that we've talked about this before. I do not have a degree in engineering, but I've been doing it since I was 10. Um, so with that, the engineering process that I found is whenever desi- designing stuff for the tufting industry, you make something, you create something. And if something goes wrong, like with the machine, they come back and they're like, hey, you jack that up. You messed that up. But yet, leaders, we don't do that with our environments. Kind of like you, that was a rare situation I do not hear much of is that you actually, not that a human's a machine, but there are processes that they typically do. And you actually mm. looked at it. Like you looked at with with your coworker, or you looked at their environment and you're like, I can't even do this. Let's give them yeah. the right environment where they have the right tools. Their stress is down. You give them a sphere of influence. You give them a way to support. But that also correlates back to where you were with your rugby. You didn't have that sphere of influence that was supportive. It caused stress. It caused you to shut down. Yeah. 
What have you learned from this process? Because that's, I talked to somebody the other day. There's not many people that look at the environmental effects. We always tell basically the machine or the person, let's work on you. Let's be efficient. Let's be our best selves, you know, but, and that's my passion. That's the reason why I have the business that I do is to look at the environmental aspects that also can play a major role, if not even a more significant role um, in putting people into success. So talk about that for a minute on how important it is to create an environment of trust. Yeah, totally. Um, because I think if you do it in isolation, it doesn't work either, mm-hmm. right? So you, you need to have that environment of trust. And, and one of the things that I, I talk to my team about a lot, uh, because you kind of get the, and I think a lot of leaders would think, okay, I'm really good at building trust within my team, but then you start kind of, especially if you work in a larger organization and then it's like, well, you know, that team over there that dropped the ball or, you know, so it kind of becomes mm-hmm. that silo mentality and that gets in the way of trust, right? Because you then feel that they're not com- competent to do their job and they'll let you down. And so that breaks down trust within the organization. So you need to have a overall culture. And I could actually see that in our own business, um, in, in um, the company I work for at the moment this was a key issue that we had and it kind of came from the top down where they recognized that this is a problem right and they kind of modeled that it wasn't just a you have to change this is the problem it's your fault they kind of looked in the mirror and they said we Mm. have to change starting with ourselves and one of the things that they kind of used to drive culture there's three kind of changes or cultural shifts is what they call them but probably the, the most important one's owning the outcome. Mm-hmm. And so like when something goes wrong, you own the outcome of, of that. So don't, you know, it's not about blaming someone else or trying to find a reason, you know, why it felt it's like you, you own the outcome. And, but it, the culture and the environment really changed because the senior leaders were modeling that themselves. And that showed that it was okay to do that. It's okay to admit, okay, I've made the mistake, let's fix it. Instead of trying to figure out who can I blame to avoid getting in trouble for that. So I think that, that's one example that comes to mind for me where senior leaders need to model it. Mm-hmm. But also, I think at the same time, if you're not you know, the, the person in charge, you also have influence. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's just by how you behave as well. And so for my team, I often talk to them about often, and this I'm kind of stealing something from Andy Stanley, right, where he talks about this idea where we've got expectations on one hand, and then you've got the other person's actions here, right? So expectation is you arrive on time for the meeting. The action is they were late. Mm -hmm. Now there's a gap. There's a gap between expectations and the action. What do you choose to put in that gap, Mm. right? As a default, do you choose to put suspicion or do you choose to put trust? Because the way that you, the default that you choose will determine the whole conversation that follows. Because if you come in and you assume that the person had good intent, the conversation is very different. And, and it reminds me of a quote from Stephen Covey as well, where he talks about, we judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. Mm-hmm. But I think for us to have good conversations, the opposite should be true. You, can, you should hold yourself accountable for your actions, but assume positive intent for other people when you start the conversation. And it's not being naive and saying, and kind of being saying, okay, I trust them and 
being naive about it is, you know, you still have the conversation, but instead of saying, um, making value judgments like you were late, why are you so tardy? Why are you so lazy? Those are value judgments. Instead, make observations. Like, I noticed that you were late. Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Assuming, assuming that positive intent, then instead of trying to defend themselves, the people will then more likely be able to tell you, okay, this is, yes, I know it's really important and this is what happened today. And, and so you, then you actually get the full story. You get to understand what's going on and you can focus to fix that. So you can, follow, you can work on the problem as opposed to on the person being defensive and trying to kind of navigate that side of the conversation, which isn't really productive. I love that. And it makes me think of the quote, uh, trust but verify by Reagan. But the thing is, trust but verify. And what I like now I'm going to start adding with positive intention. Because Mm. the thing is, is too, I've seen people take that quote and they'll trust but verify, but their verification is only for a biased approach to see negativity and find the wrong. It's not to see, hey, is this human being a human? And am I giving them the right tools and resources for them to thrive and be their best self, as we say, to have a wise work environment? So I think that's very interesting, too, in that aspect that and and I would beg to uh, say that you this is an assumption. I'm making an assumption here is that if somebody comes maybe three or four times doing the same thing, it's not that you're like, ah, OK, like you don't address it. It is still you you talk about it. Am I am I right? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, sure, like there there are sometimes tough conversations you have to have when there's a pattern of behavior. But if your default is suspicion, Mm -hmm. then it's not helpful. So your default should should be trust. But when you can say, "Look, I've I've noticed that this is happening," you know, three Mm -hmm. times a week. You know, do you think there's something broader going on here? What what's what's the problem? And you know, like there there are times where you can't just resolve it through a conversation and it has to get more serious and that's that's fine but that is the exception and i think this is kind of where it comes between you know is trust earned or given right and i was recently talking to someone who did a lot of research on deception right Mm -hmm. Um, dr timothy levine levine and he basically did a study that showed that people lie fairly irregularly like people are more honest than you think Mm-hmm. Right, and that's a gut feel that I had. I was like, you know, like, I mean, sure, I've been burnt, but on the whole, most people are honest. Most people want to live up to your trust. But it's like, do you want to live your whole life with the assumption that treating everyone like you should treat the small percentage of people who are going to break your trust? You know, and how much worse all your relationships will be because of that? Wouldn't mm-hmm. you rather play the odds <laughs> and treat people like you know most of them act, and that is trustworthy? Mm-hmm. And um, talking with strangers, Malcolm Gladwell, I love his yeah. book on, on some of those so, aspects of about how people are generally good. And that's what I always say. I have a 10 percent headache population. I've I've always had that. Um, and I work in large organizations. So even with that, I can name them. I typically can name. I can name them. Um, And the thing is, is that they yell so loud, it can feel like it's 30, 40, 50 percent, but they're not. Mm -hmm. Most people are good. Most people want to do good. But the thing is, is at times we allow these character traits to continue on and not addressing things. But that's not nothing about not being trusting. I think it's more on 
one, I think it's in the talent acquisition part in the hiring process. But if they're there, you got them. It's building people out, building out character. And I think it goes back to that that quote that I said earlier. Treat them as if they're good. And it might just mm. challenge them to be good. And in yeah. that trusting process. So what would you tell somebody that is like, <laughs> like, I can't trust because of X, Y, and Z, like whatever the reason may be. Um, it, I have to make sure my numbers show, my leadership is saying I have to do it this certain way. What would you say to them? Or how would you, what, what advice would you give them to possibly see it differently? Well, I, I would say, what do you think will be more effective is getting people who are compliant or people who actually want to be there, mm -hmm. right? The, the, everyone, want, everyone wants to lead a team who wants to be there, who's engaged, who wants to, who actually wants to get the results that you're after, right? But if you come in with the, you've got to earn my trust first, that creates an environment and a culture of compliance. I will do the absolute minimum to show you that I'm, I can do it, but I'm not going to do anything more because you're not going to give me more anyway. I'm going to give you just as much of you, as you've given me. Mm -hmm. So it's really going to be about effectiveness because, and to be honest, I've, I've never met anyone who's improved the performance because someone tells them everything they're not, mm -hmm. right? Like, you don't, you don't, like, that's not a, a way to inspire people. Like, I think, and I'm, I was really fortunate to have a manager who very early on told me that, because, you know, I come in as an engineer and I work with a lot of operators. And you kind of come in with this mentality that, okay, these people are lazy. They just want to do the absolute minimum. And so I need to create an environment or system where they can't get out of the work or can't, you know, it's forced, forcing them to do the right thing, right? And, and look, it might be true to, for some people, but he came in and he told me, no one comes to work intending to do a bad job, mm -hmm. right? Because we, all, we are all the hero of our own story. We like to think that we are good, that we are capable. And so if you tap into that and rather basically believe in that identity that they see in themselves, even if it's half true, find the things where they are doing well and say, yeah, when you do that, that's awesome, right? And so even if it's only half true, they will then end up living up to that. And you'd rather see them step up rather than step down and comply and do the absolute minimum. So I would say what's going to be more effective? And that's really, you know, try it out. And if it's less effective, then sure, go back to what you're doing. But I think it comes down to the results you get. And I think it's too... It's about performance, not what well, not in the aspect of performance, but you want people to perform. People want to be their best. They want to get to. It's not about the output of the production. I say mm -hmm. that's a byproduct of what you what you will get whenever you treat people in a trusting environment. And it makes me think of um, a client that I had that was very set that. He was the genius and everybody was the helper. And my quote that you get on everything of mine is that the kiss of death is to be the genius with 10,000 helpers instead be the genius with 10,000 geniuses. And he was basically had the conversation. He goes, the guy came and wiped his butt right, like kind of style. I'm like, okay, did he come on with his pants? Like, did he come in with clothes on? I said, he can button his pants. He can tie his shoes. Find the small wins. Find the small gratitude. I don't even care what it is. You have to see this person as a human and not as a, a product for what you want. And if you, yeah. and 
it's easier to train for skill than it is for character because that that's a hard talk to have somebody to help them open their eyes to be aware that and he he was a person of faith and that's why I'm like God don't make mistakes like this person is in your care mm. and you're going to come with this judgmental attitude of that this person is not to your standard instead of trusting and seeing them through. They had been working there for years. Yes, they make tons of mistakes, but do you not see that you might have engineered some of those yourself? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes it takes us to actually have a good hard look in the mirror um, because sometimes we are complicit in the outcomes we get. And it's easy to blame someone else because it kind of protects our ego. So definitely it's um, it's something that is very hard as a leader to admit sometimes how, how we are complicit in our own results. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's spot on. And I think too, another thing that you're making me think on is the power in trusting yourself so that you can trust other, others. Because if you don't know your values, if you don't know yourself, if you don't know your abilities and believe in them and know what your strengths are and your weaknesses are and you're just a genius on everything, it's very hard to trust into others because they may take away some of your joy or some of your sparkle instead of seeing them as helpers. So I'd love to talk about that for just a quick minute because I know we're getting close to our time. But how important is it to know yourself, to to understand and trust your own abilities? It doesn't mean that you're going to trust them 100 percent, but you trust that you hired smart people and that they're going to work. Yeah, that, that's right. I think. Well, I think it is hard, right? Because I think, um, I, like I said, we, we tend to live up to other people's expectations of ourselves. And I think to do the opposite requires us to be very intentional mm -hmm. and perhaps to do things before we, you know, keep going with without actually seeing the results yet. And especially in leadership, right, where the things you do now, you mightn't see the the outcome of that until years down the line you know you don't know how what you're saying or doing might be impacting the person right because you don't you, you can see the process you can see short-term results but how you impact people that's very difficult to see um but i think i mean and this is the the hard part as a leader as well right because on one hand you want to be vulnerable with people to to build trust as well mm -hmm. right because the if you're vulnerable it makes you relatable and People say, oh, okay, this guy's just a, a person and he mm -hmm. treats me like a person. So you can build relationships based on that. But at the same time, you also have to have some of that belief that you can do something. Even if you're scared, even if you are doubting yourself, sometimes you have to kind of put on a little bit of a front of confidence, even if it's not there yet, so that they can believe that we as a team can do this, even though you, you might not even be 100% sure yourself. So mm -hmm. I think there is a, a component of that where you have to be believe in yourself and trust yourself as, as a leader that, okay, I am making the right decision. And, and But I think you can also just be honest with them. It's like, I don't know all the answers, but this is what I believe the best decision is. And this is the best thing for us to do. And I believe in our team that we can get the result we need. So again, that puts the belief back in them. So it's you don't have to appear to have all the answers but you're showing that you trust them to help you get there because the, the it is the worst thing to be you know the genius of the, the thousand helpers because again that generates a an, an environment of compliance mm -hmm. because people think okay what does my manager want and instead of trying to kind of 
you know, you're, you're trying to do it exactly like your your manager would instead of taking initiative and actually making it better or taking a risk that might not pay off, but without that risk, you don't get the reward either. So mm. it's really important to give people that freedom, that trust. And, and the biggest part is kind of, I found is that you, when they make a mistake, you own that mistake, right? So as a manager, I'm responsible for all the mistakes my team makes, right? So they feel that they're safe enough to make mistakes because, and especially like, and this is something that my manager has been really good with me. He's like, if you're not making mistakes, you're not, you're learning too slow, mm -hmm. right? Which I found very helpful. And, but I also know that he will support me if I do make a mistake. So he will, he will own up and say, yeah, this is on me. So give your team the credit when they, when they're the ones who come up with it, but you own the mistakes that they make. And that creates a huge trusting environment where people can take risks and can succeed. Mm. That's so powerful too, because it allows without failure, there's no learning, there's no growth. Yeah, there's no that's right. And then it also makes me think of quote that I say a lot is that it's not about perfection. It's about progression because mm. if you want command and control. You want perfection, but that's not what I want. I want innovation. I want collaboration. I want to create a wise work. And in that process of creating the wise work, I want it to be where we can be open and be real with one another. So mm. I just love everything about that. Oh, I could go on days about this, but I know we're better. <laughs> so my last question, or it's a two part last question. First part, people are apologizing for being too trusting. What would you tell them? I would say assume positive intent and use that as a starting point for conversations. So it doesn't mean that you have to be naive. But just come from that angle with into that conversation, and that will already change that conversation a, a great deal. And then, final, where can people find you? I know you got a podcast, so yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably where I'm most active. But um, yeah, also the Candor Communication Podcast um, would be a good place to check out the stuff that we're doing. Um, but yeah, always open for anyone to reach out on LinkedIn if they want to connect. And there, your candor is spelled the English way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so O U. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I had someone, you know, say, um, reach out to me recently. Hey, I think your name spelled wrong. <laughs> no, no, it's just the the the, <laughs> the British way. Sorry. Yep. Well, I love it. And I appreciate you so much for your time and everybody that listened in. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.